0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's A Disciple's Point of View. We're doing episode two here in our new series, The End is Near, sort of a new series. It's kind of a rehashing of an old one I did uh, about a year and a half ago, my very first one called Tumultuous Times. This week, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the gathering storm, right? But first off, I want to say, yes, no man knows the day of the hour, according to Matthew 24, 36, but I believe we can know the season. And a lot of good Bible prophecy teachers will tell you that, yes, we can see the signs of the times. We know that we're in the season of the Lord's return, according to the fig tree prophecy in Matthew 24, 32, verse 34. or I'm sorry, verses 32 through 34. And basically, that's because Israel became a nation again in 1948. And they recaptured Jerusalem in 1967, as I explain in my tidbit on Thursday, last Thursday, the likely countdown of the generation that won't pass away is likely going to be based on Daniel 9, verse 24, in my opinion, because all the prophecy of the end was basically in that 77's prophecy. And it was basically to herald in the new covenant. It was to herald in the new covenant. Daniel and Ezekiel were relative contemporaries. They were given their prophecies a little bit right around the same time. I believe Ezekiel was a little bit before Daniel. So it wasn't necessarily that in um, the most prolific, I should say, the most prolific uh, prophecies about the new covenant were recorded in the book of Ezekiel. I think probably the most prominent ones were. Uh, there's also one in Jeremiah verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 that basically echoed what Ezekiel was saying. And we have in First Chronicles 17, a prophecy about the son of man who would come, who would be God's son, who would be the one basically to bring in this new covenant. And then obviously we have Isaiah chapter 53 that described in vivid detail in verse five and six, that really detailed exactly how this new covenant would be instituted, that Jesus would be punished for our sins, right? So what I want to talk about is basically everything that we see happening in our world right now that brings about basically this time that is coming upon us that will be worse than all the horror movies in all of the world combined, and that won't really honestly be able to hold a candle to how horrific it's going to be. So, how do we know this is approaching? And I think the first thing is politics. And this isn't going to be about politics. That is not at all what I am suggesting. What I am suggesting is basically how the shift in politics and in the media's portrayal of politics is paving the way for an authoritarian world amongst the Western world, none the likes of which we have seen in our lifetime. Right. And that's basically how the political landscape in of itself is becoming more authoritarian in nature. Now, this could be just a big pendulum swing, but especially here in the United States, I don't want to get too partisan here, but one side is becoming a lot more favorable about authoritarian means than the other side. The other side wants to keep American traditions alive, American freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other side wants to take all that away in favor of the collective good. And the thing of it is the media seems very supportive of what's going on on the authoritarian aspect of these things. It is giving that a lot more media coverage, a lot more favorable media coverage. And if you watch too much media, to be quite honest, you start start thinking like how the media is telling you to think. It's a good reason, another good reason to not really watch a whole lot of news. And if somebody in your household does watch a lot of news, and maybe you should put in earplugs, to be quite honest. And as uh, somebody very close to me always says, I always try to stay very clear of what's going on in the world, because realistically speaking, it's going to happen or not, right? So it's like the, all this political stuff, it's like it's going to happen or not. And if it's not affecting my immediate world, my immediate future, I really don't care and don't need to know about it, right? A lot of people say that's very... uh a bad way to live, but it it's healthier. It, it keeps you a lot more sane. Right. And that is the entirety of my point that I'm trying to make. People are becoming so polarized in their thinking. There's some political commentators in the United States that are talking about Civil War, II right? That is how polarized we're becoming because of the 24 hour news cycle, because of social media, two things that realistically speaking, sound like great ideas. 24 hour news. Great. I can turn it on at three o'clock in the morning. I can see what's going on on CNN. I can see anything going on in the world at any given time, but is that really a good thing? Because it's always been said of the news. If it bleeds, it leads. So That is polarizing how we think about things. Social media coordination is also playing into this. Google's pledge to keep Trump from being elected again really worked. Uh, Facebook is censoring memes for crying out loud. Memes are meant to be humorous. It's meant to kind of make us feel better about the state of the world and the state of how things are and and memes are being censored. I think uh, there was a, a YouTube channel called Zeducation in my opinion, it's a very fun uh, thing to watch just simply because he kind of makes fun. This guy by the name of Tyler Zed makes fun of the political landscape of everything that's going on and kind of tries to give everybody a little bit of a chuckle in such you know, polarizing uh, time that we're currently living in. And uh, he shared a meme that said, basically, uh, I believe it, it was something to the effect of make Orwell fiction again. And his Facebook page got totally taken down. It was totally taken down. So it's like, okay, it's like if they couldn't be more transparent, Twitter right now, obviously there's a big tug of war going on. Elon Musk is trying to buy the company. Is it really going to happen? Nobody knows yet. And there's this whole thing going on and Twitter is pretty bad about it as well. And the thing of it is a lot of the journalists in our day and age, if you look at their news stories on the internet, you're going to see screenshots of tweets that support their point of view or... that they believe actually supports or doesn't support a point of view, right? it's not necessarily interviewing people on the street like it used to be necessarily, like local news thankfully still does, but they just go to Twitter. Twitter only has about 225 million active accounts out of 8 billion people. That's a very small percentage. I think I worked out the math. It's Don't quote me, but I think it's around 2% of the entirety of the world's population have active Twitter accounts. And we're gauging that as the tone of the world that's the kind of the point that i'm trying to make the establishment doesn't take kindly to anyone who interferes or tries to take it off track think about it donald trump they tried everything to get that man out of office and they finally got him out even though he's going to try to come back and this isn't necessarily talking about how Trump is good or Trump is bad. I'm just saying the political establishment did not take kindly to him coming in when he was an outsider. And there was somebody who uh, said, politics are downstream of culture. In my opinion, America is going through a Romans one judgment, meaning that we're being given over to that which we have craved the most, a life without God. And we're seeing the benefits of that right now, I believe. We're also moving towards globalism as Antichrist will rule the world eventually. In Revelation 13, verse 3, the whole world marvels at Antichrist and follows after him after apparently having recovered from a seemingly fatal wound. In Revelation 13, verse 8, the whole world's going to worship him. In Revelation 13, verse 15, those who refuse to worship the image of the beast will be killed. And thereby subsequently in verses 16 through 18, the mark of the beast will be instituted whereby nobody will be able to buy or sell without it. Okay. So that's what this whole authoritarian push is moving towards, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be worldwide authoritarianism, right? Everybody is trying to sell it, though, as this is going to benefit everyone. Everybody will be on the same playing field. Nothing will be bad. Everything will be pro- provided for you. You'll own nothing and be happy. All right. That was something that was apparently released in 2016 by the World Economic Forum. I think they're trying to distance themselves from that now, Uh, but I mean, the video's out there. You can go find it if you wish. The second thing that's really happening that is really polarizing in our world is a societal change, none the likes of which we've ever really seen before, at least in this country. So probably from the inception of this country until around the 1950s, there was an ideal. There was a Judeo-Christian ideal. It wasn't necessarily a Christian nation. We were a nation founded supposedly on freedom. We could do what we wanted, et cetera, and whatnot. Um, but since the 1960s, one pastor said the sexual revolution in the 1960s totally. Change the landscape of America. And I believe he's totally right. Uh, according to 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, within the, um, basically everybody's just going to go from bad to worse. They're going to wax worse and worse and worse until the time of the end comes upon us. They're lovers of self, right? What do we have in our pop culture that is extremely self-centered, especially if you're on Instagram? Selfies, right? They're going to be lovers of money. Even non-Christians recognize this is bad, hence the move towards socialism, right? So a lot of people are like, you know, we can't love things so much that we forget about people. The problem with socialism is, realistically speaking, it's trying to create a Christian ideal of providing for everybody without God. And that never really leads to anything good. It always has great intentions, but it ends up being an evil and bad thing. They're proud, abusive, disobedient to parents without love, without self-control, and that is honestly, I believe, led to a huge rise in violence and mental illness. Since about 2015, mental illness has just skyrocketed, especially amongst the youth, and I believe that's probably partially due to um, social media. It makes people compare each other, and they only interact on social media, and so they don't know how to react to people in the real world. and it creates a whole host of problems, not of which is like bipolar disorders, depression, anxiety. Anxiety seemingly is huge amongst young people, unfortunately. And then we have such a thing called world wars. You never had that before. World War One, unfortunately we have numbers for them now. World War One was considered the great war, the war to end all wars, right? The, um, the League of Nations was created uh, to try to, to keep that from happening again. But it only led to World War II. Subsequently, the United Nations was formed to say, we can't let this happen again. And then we had the Cold War, where we almost nuked each other several times. As a matter of fact, apparently the Cuban Missile Crisis was likely one of the times we came the closest to nuclear war within that whole context of a Cold War and whatnot. But there's even after the post of Uh, after the Cold War ended, we're still kind of worried about that. Look at the war in Ukraine. We're very, very trepidatious trying to get into that war because Russia still has nuclear weapons, right? And so other countries in the West have been very, very hesitant to get involved in that war apart from simply just sending aid and monetary uh, supply to the nation of Ukraine to try to fight against Russia, right? So we're going to move on then to weather in the earth, climate change. Everybody constantly talks about climate change. And I think it is probably a real deal, whether or not it's man-made, whether or not it's God, whether or not it's just simply the earth, whether who knows exactly what the combination of it is. It, honestly, it's probably a combination of all of the above. I believe that God is utilizing it to especially bring about the end times, right? The fourth bowl judgment in Revelation 16, verse 8, people will be scorched by the sun, right? Now, granted, that's probably a supernatural occurrence at that time, but we're likely headed towards that. In relation to climate change, weather patterns are getting worse. We have 100-year events happening with more regularity. Earthquakes in Matthew 24, verse 7 is where uh, Jesus talks about this. The USGS data does show a marked pattern of increase. There is a documentary called The Coming Convergence. Okay, I believe it's still available on Amazon Prime. So if you've got those streaming services, you can pull this up and at about the 59 minute mark is where they bring up this data. And once they pulled all the data, put it together, they have a marked massive increase in the 20th century of earthquakes. Okay, so God is not only trying to get our attention through politics, he's trying to get our attention through societal change. He's also trying to get our attention through weather and what's going on in the earth itself. Jesus blasted the religious leaders of his day because they could see the signs of the sky, but they could not interpret the signs of the times. And in some ways, ladies and gentlemen, God is giving us signs in the sky more than just an approaching thunderstorm more than just an approaching hurricane. He is showing us time and time and time and time again, things are ramping up into something super not good, just to put it mildly. I've said it before, all the horror movies in all of the world will not hold a candle to what's coming in the tribulation. You need to receive Jesus Christ now and, or if you have, remain faithful to him. Now, I want to really say again how Israel is so key to this. The only reason we know the tribulation is seven years long or the day of the Lord. I even said in uh, episode one of this new series that we should really be calling it the day of the Lord. In Amos chapter five, God says, why do you look forward to the day of the Lord? It is not a time of joy. It is a time of doom and gloom and death. But It's there to bring Israel into the new covenant because they have largely rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. This is meant to push them and drive them to receive Jesus and to make them the harbingers or not the harbingers, but the the um, the heralds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are supposed to be the one preaching Yeshua HaMashiach, which would be Jesus Christ in Hebrew. They should be preaching that to the world. They're the ones that are supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But since they largely rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah, not completely, but they have to some degree um, or to a large degree that God did turn to the Gentiles to be the heralds of that gospel to the world. But there's coming a time when the last Gentile comes in, according to Re- Romans chapter 11, it says that all of Israel will be saved. And not it's not necessarily a thing of all Israel is going to be saved and just poof, they're saved. It is going to be the ones that survive through the tribulation period, which according to Zechariah 13 verse 8, will only be about a third of them, unfortunately. There will come a time if you have sinned even one time, you're worthy of judgment. It is only through the mercies of Jesus Christ that you can be pardoned from the sin that you committed, the sin that is ever present before God and the sin that ever stains your record before him and prevents you from entering his house. Because come on, heaven is God's house. The kingdom of God is God's house. Why would he let somebody live in his house that hates him, spits on his face, spits on his throne and says, I don't need you, but you still need to bless me anyway. How, if somebody did that to you, how would you feel? But God loves you too much to leave you that way. He did send Jesus Christ to die for your sins, and he rose from the dead. And just simply by trusting and having your putting your faith in the acts of Messiah, you can be saved. And specifically how that applies to your life and how you can receive that right now, I want to tell you in the next segment coming up in a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord, Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe, believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer, and that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process if you will to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying lord jesus i believe that you died for my sins i believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and now i confess you as lord please take control of my life and i want to follow you for the rest of my days jesus name i pray amen that's all you need to do and your life will change Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The apostle John wrote that when he was penning first John, he says, I write these things to use that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. at gmail.com if you have anything that you would like to convey to me such as something you agree with something you don't or anything else or if you did receive the lord jesus christ into your life i'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey